Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen gave Pukekohe Park the ultimate supercar send-off with a pair of wins on Sunday to seal the Jason Richards Memorial Trophy. His race three effort was particularly special after a thrilling late battle with Cam Waters. Will Davison won the first race of the weekend and probably would have won the final race too had Dick Johnson Racing not failed to get the left rear wheel secured during his stop. The second race, meanwhile, was rocked by a huge crash for Will Brown after contact with Mark Winterbottom. With Brown's car badly damaged, the Erebus Motorsport wildcard for Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway is in doubt as the team may just run out of chassis. In other Winterbottom news, he has signed a new multi-year deal with Team 18 to stay on the Supercars grid for 2023 and beyond. That basically just leaves a slot at Matt Stone Racing as the final question mark for 2023. Speaking of 2023, the calendar is taking shape with the preference for a 12-round series. With Newcastle coming back in, that means at least two events from this year are likely to miss out. We'll go into more detail on that later in the pod. Scott McLaughlin will return to the Supercast paddock for the first time since his IndyCar shift later this year. He will join the broadcast team for the Adelaide 500. Speaking of Adelaide, as we predicted a few weeks back, Michael Massey has been named as part of the South Australian Motorsport board. That role will sit alongside his chairmanship of the Supercars Commission. And Will Power is now a two-time IndyCar champion after sealing the 2022 title with a third place at Laguna Seca. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who once almost perished here in New Zealand after accidentally drinking decaf coffee, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, are you in a bit better shape than you were on that? Was that 2019 with that Monday morning coffee tear-up that you went through? Yes. Hello, Andrew. Thanks for bringing that up. Really yeah. uh, great unseen shunt from Pukekohe history, but uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, word, it's j- yeah. just 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 to explain. So uh, Stefan has a crippling caffeine addiction and needs to drink a coffee before he goes to bed. It has to be the last thing he does, and that's like not actually a joke. That is a thing he does, um, and he looked like he had been up for five days when he woke up on the Monday morning after that round uh, and he found out by looking in the bin at the at the evidence that he'd actually drank a decaf coffee and his body was it was shutting down I've actually never seen someone so sick and you know we know some people who know how to party but you were you looked like you're in big strife yeah the old one beer plus decaf coffee uh, versus <laughs> your your many beers uh, didn't leave me in good shape. I was feeling fine. I was feeling absolutely mm-hmm. fine, and even if I wasn't, in contrast, I was. Uh, I was looking pretty good. Um, let's uh, let's crack straight into some 2022 Pukekohe debrief work. Um, Stefan, let me tell you, it was an unbelievable weekend from Friday onwards. The atmosphere was awesome. Huge crowds. There was talks of teams running out of posters and merchandise selling out, and then you know a pair of uh, Shane Van Gisbergen wins on the Sunday. Like that was just it was unreal. You you couldn't have really scripted it. 
I think there's a few points uh, to touch on. Uh, firstly, Stefan, we talked about Giz basically being unbeatable heading to Pookie. And yes, he did win two races and he did win the JR Trophy, which was great. But he wasn't the crazy fast bloke. That was Will Davison. Did you find that surprising at all? Well, I mean, it was the second weekend in a row where Davo was the man to beat. Like yeah. he and his engineer, Richard Harris, are just doing a mega job in terms of car speed there at the yeah. moment. But it was deja vu from Sandown in terms of winning the Saturday race, having the speed to go on with it on Sunday, only for the ball to sort of bounce the wrong way for him at the key moments. And I think it's pretty fair to say that without that pit stop issue in the last race for Will, like that epic Shane versus Cam battle would have been for second place. Yeah, So no, it was certainly one that, one that got away for Davo. And to be honest, I'm fascinated as to what pace the DJR cars will now show at Bathurst because they've been mm-hmm. really underwhelming there the last couple of years. But no doubt Car 17 is setting the pace at the moment. Yeah, for sure. And we saw Davo was um, really strong there, well, you know, when he was a co-driver in 2020 as well with uh, with Cam Waters. So, yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point. And I guess like this weekend, there was the expectation of how well Giz would go. You know, we had that same expectation for Sandown because that was always such a triple eight stranglehold and that was sort of surprising as well. So, um, yeah, I think based on recent form, it's not really a surprise, but it's still hard to expect to see it coming, particularly that race pace. That single lap pace has kind of been there all year, but that race pace is something that's that's kind of new um, and, yeah, pretty uh, pretty intriguing heading to Bathurst. Probably the, the part, though, where Davo's weekend did start to unravel was actually that earlier race on Sunday where he was running second to Shane on the safety car restart. Like, yep. So Shane obviously rolled out of the throttle there well before the breaking point for the hairpin to put Will on the outside, and he just took the bait. Like He went in too deep and then lost a couple of spots. Shane was clearly struggling at that point, and he would have known Will was the big threat. He had the faster car, so... It was sort of the latest one of those little SVG tricks that seemed to get people pretty rolled up, but it's within the rules. Like, what was your take on that manoeuvre down there at the hairpin? I don't really mind it. I, don't, I was having this discussion uh, with a mate of ours, Connor O'Brien, as well, about how right or wrong. I, I, I think it's kind of um, – it's close. You're right. It's it, it's a close run thing, but at the end of the day, he got out of the throttle and Davo couldn't actually execute – making that uh, his advantage and he should be able to do that as well. I would like to see someone try that on Shane and see what happens because um, I'm not sure you would necessarily see the bloke get shuffled back to fourth. Um, but, yeah, it's on the edge. I mean, if you hit the brake, suddenly it's a different story and you're in uh, in a world of pain. So it's not that far off doing that, obviously. Um, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what you do when you're driving a racing car and you look, you got someone closer, you do look for any sort of advantage. It happens in – there would have been blokes in those Formula Ford races getting out of the throttle at some points, you know, to try and slow someone sitting right in their sli- uh, slipstream up to try and break a toe coming onto onto the straight, for sure. It's like pretty common gamesmanship, really. Um, Shane just kind of has the guts to execute it at that level when he's leading the race right at a restart like that. Like it's actually impressive as close to the margins as it actually is. Yeah, and he obviously did that one at Bathurst last year on, I'm pretty sure it was after a restart at Griffin's Bend where he was holding yep. people up high and all that. So we've seen we've seen these things before, but, uh, yeah, it was just another uh, instance of him being clever and uh, it really being a big part in him winning that uh, that race. Yeah, it, it sort of came back as well. I mean, there was talk in the commentary about, you know, his like racing brain, but I don't even think it's that. I think he's just he just requires so much 
so little of his normal brain when he's driving the race car that he just has all this capacity left over to make decisions like that and to think thing, think about things like that. Um, and, yeah, it, it is as long as it stays just on – it only has to be just on the right side of the right thing to do. And as, as long as it does, like, yeah, that's it's it's pretty incredible. Um, here's another point I feel is worth making out of the weekend. Um Andre Heimgartner is just the real deal. Like, I think he's really properly hit that level. And it it, it, it sort of doesn't sound surprising because he's been quick all year, but it just, over the weekend, it felt so natural to see him running near the front and, you know, to see him sitting there in the in the press conferences. And there was a lot of pressure on Kiwi drivers heading into the weekend. And he just took it all in his stride and just looked so comfortable uh, running at the front there, even though he's not, you know, he's driving for Brad Jones Racing. They're a good team, but they're not one of the absolute outright week in, week out front runners, but that's kind of the, the role that he's starting to take on. Um, he doesn't quite have that winning pace, um, but, you know, week in, week out. But, you know, he he touched on it again over the weekend. The, the bloke had to like completely reinvent um, his career after 2016. He went really close to quitting. He had another job lined up. He was going to go and do something else. And I sort of felt like on the weekend, for whatever reason, um, th- th- that – that reinvention is well and truly complete. Um, and there's this alchemy with Brad Jones Racing, which just seems to be right. What do you reckon? I reckon you need to get Albury alchemy in a headline. I've not uh, not heard the alchemy run too much before. But, yeah, I mean, for me, it was great that the Kiwi element of the on-track stuff wasn't just the Shane show. Like Andre was actually quicker than than Shane for a fair bit of the weekend. Yeah, so yeah, for it, sure. it was great to see him bounce back on home soil after a couple of tough rounds at the Bend yeah. and Sandown. And really, it was a case of getting back to where he should be. Because if you look at round points through the year, like before the Bend, Andre had finished the previous four rounds inside the top six. Yeah. So that's across Perth, Winton, Darwin, Townsville, and only Shane, Cam, and Andre were in that top six overall at every one of those events. Yeah. So that's really impressive. Like he's putting together an impressive first year there at BJR. And I think it also speaks to the resilience of BJR as a race team when you consider they lost their lead driver, their chief engineer, and their team manager at the mm. end of last year. Yeah. Andre's obviously stepped in there and he's like steering the team very well, especially when you look at the fact he doesn't really have any competitive teammates to really bounce off there at the mm-hmm. moment. Yep, very true. Yeah, no, it's a um, – actually, I mean, there was a point towards the end of that last race where it was like this is going to work out for the Kiwis in one way because it felt like, you know, uh, Giz was either going to get through or him and Cam were going to have a massive shunt and Andre was going to sweep through and uh, and win that race. So, um, but, yeah, look, it's a um, – there's just something about it that just works and I'm not 100% sure why, but on the weekend it just sort of really hit home that – yeah, this bloke is he's really doing the job. Um, let's have a chat about the Mark Winterbottom, Will Brown incident at the start of the first race. I think the thing that kind of really got me was that um, it was kind of a little bit scary for a while because there's there's a certain um, rhythm that you learn as a journalist to recognise when things like this happen. And you know, there was no replays and there was little in the way of info coming through. The fact that it was driver's side impact, probably the bit that really got me was how shaken up Frosty seemed to be in his TV interview in the car on the grid during the red flag. I was kind of a little uh, unnerved there for a while and I'll, um, I was pretty happy when it turned out uh, he was okay. What were your thoughts on the incident, Stefan? Yeah, well, in terms of the incident itself, like that onboard footage from Will Brown's car certainly didn't look, good for Frosty, did it? Like as soon as we saw that, 
I mean, it totally looks like Frosty opened the steering and fed Will Brown off the road. That's what yeah. it looks like. Mm-hmm. So Frosty's TV interview then where he started with talking about the fact he got hit at all the previous corners, particularly at the hairpin, didn't kind of combine well with his claim that it wasn't any sort no. of payback. You mean the post-race um, TV interview? Yeah. So yeah. No, the, he didn't the stewards do obviously made the call. Referencing that. The stewards made the call in the race that it was reckless driving, which is a pretty serious charge, yeah. and he got that drive-through for it. So I'd certainly like to think that if Frosty had his time again, he would have done that a little differently. Yeah, I think so. What about the post-race altercation between Frosty, Will, and Barry Ryan? Manuel Sanchez was there too, but he was sort of hanging back in case uh, things got ugly instead of actively taking part um, like the other three were. Stephen, I'm sure there is, you know, there might be more to come from this, particularly with the fact there was some physical contact, light physical contact, mind you, but there was some physical contact between Barry and Frosty. But, I mean, this is kind of the theatre that our sport needs, right? Well, I think there's probably something wrong if this isn't happening from time to time. Like, yeah. I don't understand why some people expect or want these guys to act like robots when yeah. something so emotive Or best takes friends place. all the time. Yeah, I mean, in the end, what that confrontation did in the garage there was flip the narrative the opposite way. All of a sudden, Frosty was the victim and Barry yeah. Ryan was the villain. But then yeah. on Monday, it kind of turned again. Like there was a supercars.com story posted that was titled Brown Details Winterbottom Conversation. And the opening line of that story was that Brown has had his say on the matter and it's been put to bed. And then Will Brown and Chaz Mostert took to their socials to slam supercars and the media for beating the story up and creating hate. I'm not quite sure what part of reporting man details conversation is a beat up. Like how vanilla does this sport want to be? The least inflammatory headline you could possibly, like in a pure editorial sense, you would actually, if you weren't working for the series, you'd be like, come on, you can do better than that in terms of a headline. Um, yeah, that's, that is <clears throat> complete uh, nonsense, to be honest. That was a perfectly reasonable treatment of what is a newsworthy thing. And like you pointed out before, you know, the, the day that isn't newsworthy, like if that's not news, newsworthy, your sport is in a huge amount of strife and blokes like Brown and Mostert won't be making any money out of it. So, you know, they're, they're happy to trade off the rivalries and this and that when it's working for them. But, the, oh yeah, I, I, I did see that and I just absolutely couldn't believe it. And and the amount of fans saying, oh, this is a good take. No, nah, it was a bad take. It was a bad take. There was nothing wrong with that story. Um, and drivers getting involved in it, trying to talk it down. They obviously don't want to help promote the sport at all. I, I, I think it's just – I think it's misguided. I don't think it's it's not – it's it, it, like it's just it's just a misunderstanding of 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 how media works and of what is actually positive um, for the sport. I, I I also just want to mention that I think Frosty like he was obviously at fault for the for the wreck itself, um, but he really did um, handle himself well in that altercation. You know, with um with Will and Barry after he got pushed away, it would have been easy just to go. Oh well, you know, forget it. I won't bother trying to fix this. But he seemed to actually really want to stay on and try and um and try and you know sort of explain where things are at with with Will Brown. Um, so I think he actually in that moment handled himself well, even if he didn't necessarily handle himself all that well out on the track. Uh, now, the crashes basically plunged the Greg Murphy-Richie Stanaway wildcard into doubt. They were going to race Erebus's spare car, but if Brown's regular car can't be fixed, he and Jack Perkins will need that car 
For the Bathurst 1000, uh, Barry Ryan wasn't all that confident when myself and a few other journos spoke to him at Pukekohe. So I do think the doubt over the wildcard is real. Um, but then Peter Addison came out on Sunday as well and flagged the entry moving to another team if needed and, and if Erebus can't provide the service they were meant to. Stefan, any clue how this might shake out? I mean, it would be a huge shame if the boost wildcard fell over again. Yeah, I mean, this was certainly another dramatic and just incredible part of this story on this final day at Pukekohe, the fact that a crash there could have bumped Mirth out of Bathurst. Like, how absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But um, like some of Barry's comments in that chat you guys did that you referred to earlier, um, the one on Sunday, were amazing, like saying, we we do shit properly here, we're not using someone else's flaky jig <laughs> and we're not repairing it just to Walkinshaw spec. Like, that was a hell of a drive-by on their engine supplier. <laughs> it was. But, so clearly he was fired up about a few things. But um, yeah. going, by, going by the latest comments, it looks like they'll probably fix the nine car and go to Bathurst as planned, but they won't fully know what the score is until after the car comes back to the workshop there on Wednesday. So it's certainly not what Erebus needs, like regardless of how that yeah. works out. When you look at their Bathurst prep, like especially when their car speed actually at Pukekohe was pretty ordinary. Like mm-hmm. Will Brown yeah, qualified sure. in the 20s for all three races and and Brody bounced off the walls a couple of times. So it wasn't a good weekend for them in, in any sense. No, that's uh, that's 100% right. And I think you might be right on the fact that, you know, there will actually be a pretty concerted effort going into fixing that nine car. Um, I actually caught up with Murph um, here and I'm I'm currently in Napier um, listening to the waves crashing into Hawke's Bay. And, um, yeah, I actually caught up with Murph this morning. We had a bit of a chat about the Pookie weekend in general uh, and his thoughts on on the wild card and whether they'll be on the the grid for the Bathurst 1000. And here it is. So I'll just start off with with this weekend. How was it? How was it for you? Was it was it the emotional farewell that you sort of expected it to be? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think one hundred percent. It was it was bigger, and the storyline that that was generated was, um, I suppose, one of those things that you you could dream of happening. Yeah, the chance of it coming together the way it did. No, I'm just ridiculous. It's but then again, I mean, I, I've been incredibly, um, you know, fortunate to have actually had a few of those storylines there in the yeah. past myself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't be surprised mm. in some respects. But but seriously, I mean, I, you know, what Gisbergen's been doing this season, you, you can't, you just can't, you, you have to expect the most ridiculous yeah situation to, to potentially unfold yep. and and that was that was just a crazy crazy situation and it's it's it is all I mean I'm, I'm not a I'm not a believer in you know in um, the universe the universe stuff but, yep. but it's like JR was up there bloody pulling yeah. pulling strings man yeah and you know I spoke to Andrew Andrew Edwards late on well uh, you know when it was dark when they were packing up on Sunday night and you know he was he was just he couldn't believe he was so emotional about the whole thing and you know, which was amazing which was which was incredible to see someone who yeah. who has so many touch points to to the journey yeah. to have it for him um, culminate in that afternoon yeah I think I just I I mean his his story is is even more remarkable and and wonderful yeah 
uh, than anyone else's. Yeah, absolutely. And to have Andre up there in the number eight BJR car as well, it all kind of all played together. And it did. You're right. There was something. There was yeah. something sort of spooky going on. Something yeah, on, on Sunday. Sunday. It sends a shiver there. talk down the spine just thinking, talking about it. Yeah, it well, seriously does. I just like you know, say I'm not a, not a believer in all that other stuff, but it, it just, it, man, sometimes things are just supposed to be. Yeah. Was it nice having a burn in the Sierra around there on the weekend? No, that, that added to the whole, yeah, the whole weekend and and the um, yeah the the special vibe of it all. I mean, it was just a ridiculous amount of energy through that whole place. It was from and, Friday onwards. Yeah, and you know, there's a little, you know, just those those little meant to be moments. You know, it's, it's thirty years in December since like, that was my first ever. Um, touring car drive yeah. at Pukekohe and uh, in that car yeah it's and incredible. you know I had, had a bit of you know sort of certainly it was a, a significant moment in my career because it, 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 it added to um, added to a bit of my recognition in the sport yep by doing what I was doing and, and finishing you know fourth there and fourth at Wellington in that Nissan Noble 500 series yep. with Kane Scott so it gave me some strength back then to to be able to push on with my plans as you know racing cars yeah and then so then to you know to have that last event and drive that car there yeah. I mean yeah it's it, it all it all means means a lot yeah um, yeah last question Bathurst Bathurst this year if if there isn't a car available. Is that I, I, devastating I, for you? Are you where, where are you sort of sat on that? Well, let's let's sort of let's say that something like that ah. that uh, it turns to shit. But I, I'm I don't think it will. I think okay. it will be fine. I think okay. um, you know you the, the, too much has been done. Yeah. Um, there's too much effort, too much work. You know, um, I've not been a part or party to any of the conversations that anyone else, like that boost has had with any other teams. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's um, I, but I'm told that there have been yeah. offers and things. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't see it. I just can't see it being turfed. No. It's just not. I just. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with a bit of clarity. There'll be a. There'll be a. Alison, you know, um, it is the worst case situation for for Barry Ryan and yeah. Erebus to have you know had this happen to them, and it's just you just shake your head and just go. <laughs> Yeah. Just like the way Shane came through and won that last race, yeah. you know, the flip side is is yeah. the worst case things can also happen, yeah, exactly. which, which happened to Erebus as, yeah. on the same day. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's what teams got to have to try and deal with. And yeah. I feel I feel very sorry for the, for those for those guys and girls at Erebus who are yeah. going to have to try and come up with some sort of solution. And you know, um, and I hope they do because yeah. um, they deserve to to be a part of that just sure. as much as we do. Yeah. So um, you know, I I'm very confident that you know some some solution will be found because you know everyone wants it to. And we thank Murph for his time after what was a pretty hectic weekend for the bloke at Pukekohe. Uh, now, Stefan, there's a bit of calendar news kicking about. It seems things are coming together for the 2023 schedule, to some extent at least. Uh, now, the preference from supercars is for 12 rounds, which with Newcastle coming back in would mean at least two events from this season would miss out next season. Uh, so... On the definitely safe list, we seem to have Newcastle, Albert Park, Darwin, Townsville, Sandown, Bathurst, Gold Coast, and Adelaide. There is also a growing speculation that the Sandown 500 could return 
as soon as next year. Um, the other four slots will be decided between Tasmania, Perth, Sydney Motorsport Park, the Ben Motorsport Park, Winton, New Zealand, and Queensland Raceway. Um, yeah, uh, it could still be 13 rounds as well. It just depends on where government funding falls, but 12 is is definitely the the target. What do you um what do you make of that, Stefan? So, for all the hype about NZ on the weekend and how important it is to supercars, there's a genuine chance of them not having a round next year. Yeah. Yep, at the moment. I I I actually do genuinely worry about New Zealand spot on the on the calendar next year. Like um Everyone kind of figured uh, Hampton Downs would be a walk-up start, but there is there is talk of some concerns over the circuit and some issues like the off-ramp from the motorway and how it would work for traffic management. I'm definitely not saying it won't happen. Uh, I think it's still uh, the front runner if there is a New Zealand round, but I don't feel like that is the foregone conclusion that some necessarily think uh, that it is. There was been some talk about uh, Taupo as well. Um, I believe there was an exploratory trip um, from someone – Wearing a supercars shirt, I think during this week on this side of the weekend, um, there's real Puna and Highlands on the South Island. But any of those options would require supercars either looking for different regional backing or going after some federal backing. Although I guess it wouldn't be that hard to cut a decent hype reel from Pukekohe uh, over the weekend to take into a pitch meeting. Uh, what do you what, what do you what do you think? Are we going to be at Hampton Downs or what do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Like you're talking about 12 rounds, which is um, obviously going to see some people uh, miss out. Some some is circuits. it enough? Is um, it enough? Should we be should we be racing more than that? Well, I mean, in, in team land, if you're working your guts out building these Gen three cars over the off season, probably the yeah. minimum contracted 12 events, um, you might want to just tick the box and and just do that. But clearly, from a fan point of view, you want more racing. And in this conversation. Like it's not just New Zealand. You mentioned a couple of other key markets there in terms of WA and Tassie potentially missing out as part of all that. So yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of horse trading going on in the background right now in terms of how much some of those state governments want to tip in to make their events sing and make sure it's on the calendar. Like that's ultimately a big part of it. Oh, yeah, and that's where it could still end up at the 13. Is if, if all the governments say, yep, no worries, we're going to tip that money in, then the, the 13th round will be added to accommodate that. But even at 13... It feels like, you know, what is really under threat is this whole idea of that, you know, this category races everywhere in Australia. Nowhere is left behind, um, which was, you know, particularly the previous uh, CEO, Sean Seymour, was very big on that. Um, but, yeah, if we're going to see the likes of um, of Perth or Tassie go, then we're sort of starting to lose that, that completely uh, national feel. All right, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. Max Verstappen won in a towing Grand Prix that finished behind the safety car from Charles Leclerc and George Russell. Daniel Ricciardo retired late in the race. He's stranded McLaren, sparking the caution that lasted until the finish. In Formula 2, Yuri Vips won the sprint race and Jihan Daruvala the feature while Philippe Dragovic clinched the title. The Formula 3 sprint race went to Franco Colapinto while Zane Maloney won the feature as the title went to Alpine junior Victor Martins. Might end up with a Formula 1 drive, that bloke, the way it's going. Um, Bubba Wallace held off Denny Hamlin to win the NASCAR Cup race at Kansas Speedway. And as I flagged at the top of the show, Will Power did Australia proud by winning a second IndyCar title at Laguna Seca. Alex Pillow won the race from Joseph Newgarden and Power, and Scotty Mack came home six. Uh, Stefan, we both know Will. He's an absolute ripper bloke, and it's very hard not to be happy for him, right? 
Oh, it's fantastic. And when you look at how high the level is in that series, I think the longevity of Will Power is just phenomenal. And in yeah. many ways, I think we saw the best of, of Will on the weekend. Like he's still got that amazing raw speed. He showed that by going out and taking pole on Saturday and eclipsing Mario Andretti's pole record in the process. But then mm -hmm. in the race, like there was a period where the team had gone the wrong way on a wing change and a pit stop and he was just getting smoked for pace by Pelot and also Newgarden who'd blazed through from the back and put a forceful move on power at the corkscrew, which could have rattled Will a bit, you know, with Newgarden being a teammate and another yep. title contender. But Will just kept his cool. It was sort of that ultimate expression of the big picture power that Will has talked about a lot this year. And then I guess credit also to Scott McLaughlin, who did play a bit of a blocker role there for Penske in that race, keeping the other Ganassi blokes under control. Scotty's had a phenomenal year as well to be fourth in the standings at the end of it. And I think that uh, shows how strong Penske is when you can be fourth and you get beaten by two of your teammates. Okay, it's Castrol Mailbag time, Stefan, and it's a special Castrol Mailbag this week because this question was delivered in person by listener Max um, Bow, who grabbed me to say good day in the paddock at Pookie on the weekend. Now, Max asked why the team's title-winning team in supercars ends up with the pit exit garage, but in Formula 1, the winning constructor is usually at pit entry. It was such a good question. I didn't actually have any idea what the answer is, so I uh, handballed this one over to you, Stefan. Uh, <laughs> what did you come up with on this one? Well, I guess I don't have an absolutely definitive answer, but as you say in uh, in the question there, like in F1, the top teams are usually at pit entry, but not yep. always. Like Correct. so on some yep. tracks like Albert Park, they're at pit exit, and some they're actually in the middle. And I believe that's influenced by F1's desire to have the big teams in front of the big grandstands and also where the corporates are. So it's not always set for sporting reasons, mm -hmm. whereas in supercars, it's consistent all year that the top teams are at pit exit and it goes downwards in uh, the previous year's team's championship order. So when, when you look purely at the sporting side of it, there are advantages and disadvantages at either end, but the benefits of being at pit exit are really magnified by some of the nuances that are specific to supercars. So if you think of qualifying, each car in supercars has to still be at the garage when the session starts. So mm -hmm. the champion yep. team in supercars actually has the right to be first out the gate and have that clear road, which can be particularly handy at some of the short circuits that supercars race on. So there's that. You look at also in the fuel races that supercars do, if you're at pit exit, you can actually time the release of your car to ensure they keep track position against any other car that's coming down the lane. And obviously yep. there's no no fuel racing in F1 these days, so they don't have to worry about that. And then there's a bit of like the pit stacking congestion that you see in, in supercars. You're obviously less likely to be caught in some sort of awkward jam if, if you're up that exit end. So if you look at the flip side, probably the benefits of being at the entry include getting a clear run into the box and also having right of way if you've done your stop and there's someone coming back out of that box in the fast lane. If there's overlap, obviously, they've got to merge behind. So it's, yep. it's kind of horses for courses, but it is a, it's a curious one that it's, it's done differently in different parts of the world. Yep, absolutely. Very good question from Max. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, I, I actually have, I was thinking about this uh, this morning. I think I might have actually handed out this Castrol Star of the Week before. We handed this bloke one before, but I'm going to go with it again. Um, it's going to go to Kenny Smith. He was racing at Formula Ford on the weekend, uh, and it just wouldn't have been a Pukakoe farewell without him there. Um, 
I mean, the fact he was racing a Van Diemen RF86 sealed the deal for me. But seriously, like the bloke's 81 years old and he's still ragging racing cars like a boss. Uh, at one point, Shane Van Gisbergen was out on the pit apron talking to him while he was strapped in the car. So uh, you know you're a legend when SVG chooses to talk to you on a weekend when he's being absolutely mobbed by uh, by everybody and talking isn't necessarily his favourite thing to do. So, yep, he gets my Castrol Star of the Week this week. Stefan, who have you got, mate? So, Kenny, the first two-time winner, you reckon, of a Star of the Week? Oh, maybe we'd have to go back. Surely, surely there's a sleuth database that has this covered off. Who are the who have won the stars? Well, mine is definitely a new star of the week. It's uh, Nick Devries. As mm-hmm. you know, he was called up on Saturday morning to make his F1 debut with Williams due to Alex Albon going down with appendicitis, and it was always probably going to be a good track for Williams. To be fair, with the straight line speed that car has, but uh, yeah, I mean Nick absolutely dusted his teammate. Latifi and, and scored points. He's put himself in a great spot now to be on the 2023 grid, I think. Like, Williams is yeah. a logical place for him to go. There's a lot of talk about that. But yeah. I reckon if those Alpine blokes had their act together and maybe stop bagging Piastri for a minute, they'd probably get on the <laughs> phone and try to snap him up. Uh, yeah, it was like a perfect real-world audition for him. And he may get another shot um, in Singapore in a couple of weeks, depending on what does happen. Um, with Albon, there was actually some interesting footage of uh, of Nick at the end of the race where he couldn't get out of the car. He couldn't actually lift himself past the halo, which sort of shows you can be as prepared as possible, but a Grand Prix is still a, a heck of a thing to put your uh, put your body through. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.